right at the start of the Bible, page 13, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's call. This is God's word. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out from, for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. To Genesis chapter 12 as we begin this, uh, I think, is going to be the first of our 10-part series as we make our way through the life of Abraham between now and Christmas. So as we were thinking about with the, the boys and girls, with our little people this morning, what do we do with the call of God? This, this is a big question for each of us in our individual lives. How do we respond to the call of God? And for some of us here this morning, the answer is simply, we haven't responded to the call of God. You've sat here at Hill Street, and you've listened to the preaching of God's Word, and you've heard the call of the gospel to come and to repent and to believe, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to have life in all of its fullness. And to date, you've rejected the call of God. You've maybe said to yourself, not yet, Whenever I'm older, whenever this changes, whenever this life circumstance happens, or maybe you've said that this call that you, you feel from the front, you feel the, the Lord burning it into your very heart and into your mind, you feel like Nigel and myself are potentially preaching to just you, that everyone else in the room might as well not exist, and yet you have still rejected it. God couldn't love me enough. If God knew exactly what I had done, there's no way this call would be for me. Or perhaps you, you have responded to the call. Perhaps it was here at Hill Street, and I've been able to hear over the last number of years different people's testimonies, even about the, the very seat or the very location that they were in in this room or, or somewhere else whenever the call of God was sent out and you responded to the gospel. And so you've responded to the initial call, and yet it seems like you've stalled in your faith. So far you've followed him, and then you stopped. Lord, that's too far. That seems too radical. That's only for the, the holiest person. That's only for someone else. That's, that's not for me. I'm just, I'm just going to go this far and not the entire way, and the answer to the call. 
Or perhaps you have answered the call of God and you've followed him with all of your heart and with all of your life. But you get tired. You are tired. You're weary. Well, in the midst of all of those different scenarios and lots of other scenarios in your life, you're starting to apply this as I speak into your own heart and in your own mind. What have I done with the call of God to come and to follow him? As you start to think about that, as you start to work it out, what we're going to see in this story today, this account of Abraham, will hopefully help us. We're going to see how the Lord called out to Abraham, and we're going to be able to, as it were, map our story onto this, to see some of the the principles that were at work in the call of Abraham that are still at work as God calls people into salvation and are at work in our lives. And the first thing that we want to say is, isn't it great that our God lives and that our God does call? And He continues to call. And He's calling today to each of us into different things, into different aspects of obedience. God lives and God calls. So, Abraham. Abraham is one of the most influential people in all of history. I didn't say that. Time magazine said it in, let me get the date, 2002, the September issue. They led with this. The secular world said that Abraham, Abraham is one of the key figures in the history of humanity. Why is he so important? Well, Time magazine said that 3.5 billion people claim him as the father of their faith. Christians, Jews, and Muslims. 3.5 billion people look at Abraham as the father of the faith. And so the question is, how did Abraham become so famous as it were? How does he get himself onto the cover of Time magazine in 2002 for the September article? How did he do it? Is it because he had a great ability? Did he invent some new technology? Was he a great sports person? Whatever they happened to play all the way back then. How is he the most influential person or one of the most influential people, according to Time magazine? Well, that's where we dive into our passage. You'll have the Bible open there in chapter 12 of Genesis, but, but come back. Look what's happened in the, the first 11 chapters, as it were. Let's set the scene in Genesis. <clears throat> so, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, what have we encountered? We've encountered God's judgment three times. Look at Genesis chapter 3. If, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see it there. Just come with me. So, Genesis chapter 3, what happens? There's judgment. Humanity are banished from the garden. So, Genesis 3. Then flip over to Genesis chapter 6. You'll see what happens next. There's another judgment at the flood. So, that's 2. And then Genesis chapter 11. Another form of judgment, the Tower of Babel. What does God do? He has cursed the serpent. He's cursed the ground. He has condemned Cain at this point. And now at Babel in chapter 11, he throws the people into chaos with their language. He scatters them. And the scene is really dark in Genesis at this moment. There have been little shafts of light that have burst through. God has blessed Adam and Eve in chapter 1. He has promised grace in chapter 3 with the seed of the Savior that would come. And he has blessed the sons of Noah in chapter 9, but very little. It's, it's a dark scene with little shafts of light. 
But here's what one commentator says about coming into chapter 12. This is the moment that God will remove the doubt, that God will show His intention to bridge the gulf between Himself and humanity. This is the moment in chapter 12 that everything changes. And so we're going to have three points this morning, and the first is this, an unlikely calling. An unlikely calling. Verse 1. This week has been a really dramatic week in the football world, in the sports world. Uh, Why? It's because it's uh, transfer deadline week. You have a certain deadline to have all of your business done by. If you want to sign a new player, you have to have it done by midnight on a certain date. And so there's always lots of drama in transfer deadline week. Some sports enthusiasts, maybe some of us this week, uh, if you've Sky Sports, you've been watching this, uh, and people are at different sporting grounds waiting to hear the latest drama. Unlikely calls. What are some of the most unlikely calls in footballing terms? Well, I looked up two of the most dramatic transfer deadline deals. Gareth Bale apparently left Tottenham in 2013 for 85.3 million on transfer deadline day, and Fernando Torres left Liverpool for Chelsea in 2011 for 50 million. Pretty dramatic calls, last-minute deals, unlikely calls. But here, as we come to Abraham, look at Genesis chapter 11. It should be on the same page. Everything's a mess. The people had turned into this the selfish, self-promoting people. And then look at verse 27. Verse 27 sort of stalls us and zooms us in on this account of Terah. Now, Terah is the father of Abraham. And you see in verse 28, he's in a place called Ur, and then he moves in verse 31 to a place called Haran. These are not good places. Abraham is not from good stock. Society was dark. It was full of pride. They had tried to build this great tower to reach up to heaven. They had tried to promote their own name so that they would endure and last forever. They tried to build this city that would last forever. And it all falls apart. Abraham's family are dark. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2 tells us that Terah, Abraham's father, served many other gods. His own name, Terah's name, means uh, is related to worship of the moon. And so, this most unlikely call comes. Abraham living in a pagan land. He's been raised as a pagan. He worships a multiplicity of of gods. And into this most unlikely of situations, chapter 12 begins, verse 1, and I love how it starts, the Lord the Lord calls. And remember we have said those capital words, the L-O-R-D, Lord in capitals, is the name of the covenant-keeping God. In Hebrew, it's that word Yahweh. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, God spoke to him, God disturbed him, and God called him out. 
God spoke to him, God disturbed him, and God called him out. It's the sovereign fingertip of God, as it were, reaching through the the dark clouds of sin and the situation that the people are in, and it touches Abraham and all of his brokenness. It's like what we'll read of as we come into the New Testament, the people dwelling under darkness and in the land of death have had a great light appear to them. It's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. He would appear, he would call men and women to come and to follow after him, and it's what the Holy Spirit still does. He calls men and women and boys and girls to come and to follow after him. He speaks to us, he disturbs us, and he calls us out. Look at Abraham's threefold call. Leave your country, leave your people, and leave your father's house. Why? Because the Lord says, I'm going to do something new in you. And the Lord's preparing Abram. He's he's ripping idolatry out of his heart. He's taking all of these false gods and he's casting them away from Abraham. But he has to respond, doesn't he? So look at verse 5. It tells us a little bit of the, the sin that surrounded Abraham and his family. That he takes his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired. It sounds very like our society, doesn't it? Materialistic. And Abram had insulated himself with all of these nice things in this pagan land with these pagan gods, and God said, I'm going to call you out. A dramatic shift, a big change. And what it shows us is God working His incredible, sovereign grace, working in the life of a sinner. And that's how he works in our lives. See what I mean? We're trying, to, we're trying to map our situation, our experience onto what has happened here in Abraham, the most unlikely of calls. And so we are disturbed in our lives. We have this unlikely call. Jesus calls us through the Holy Spirit and he says, come and follow me. God calling us into what? Into a relationship with himself. And so what we see in this story is God's sovereign call. It's what Sinclair Ferguson, and I think it'll come up on the screen screen for us. It's a story of God's sovereign calling, God's unmerited blessing, of God's protection and God's absolute determination to bring to fruition all of His promises. This is what the story of Abraham is. God calling a people out for Himself calling Abraham and then his seed into relationship with himself to redeem these people. And so we see the pattern. God's sovereign grace coming to the most unlikely of people. Unlikely people like Abraham. Unlikely people like us. The unlikely calling. Then the undeserved blessing. There's an unlikely calling, and then there's this undeserved blessing, verses 2 and 3. We'll see it here. I I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'll make you into a great nation. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll give your offspring this land, a people God is making, and a place He's setting aside for them, and a person He's promising will come. Incredible words. Earth-changing, history-shaping, humanity-defining words in verses 2 and 3. And what God is doing is He's rewriting the judgment of Babel, as it were. He had scattered the people and confused them. He had spread them and flung them across the land. He had divided them and isolated them and separated them. And now what does He do? He promises a new nation, a gathering of His people under His protective care to unfold His great plan of redemption. So, in other words, God makes a covenant with Abraham so that He can have relationship with people again and so that He can redeem His people. Relationship and redemption. So what he does in this moment, he speaks, God speaks, and he decides that Abram, which means, and his name in, in the original means, exalted father, the one who, look at chapter 11 and verse 30, whose wife was barren and who had no children, to this most unlikely person, he speaks this undeserved blessing, and he promises that he's going to be the conduit for all of heaven's blessings. Abram, as it were, is going to be a funnel from which all the blessing will flow out to the world. He's going to be the head of the family. And then it would be his seed, his offspring, that would fulfill this promise completely. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless all peoples on earth through you. Would that be fulfilled in Abraham? In a sense, partly yes, but not completely until the promised one of his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come. See, Galatians chapter 3 and 16 picks this up, and it says this, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, but it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ, the one that would come directly from Abraham's line that would bless the entire world. An undeserved blessing. Grace upon grace upon grace. What does God do as He speaks these words? He takes idol worshippers, pagans, and He grafts them into this new people, and promises them that He will watch over and protect them, because the people have been left to their own devices, and three times they've messed it up. Three times they've been under judgment. And so God says that He's going to take new and special action. He's going to form a people for Himself and to Himself. And He starts with Abraham. Again, First Peter picks this up in the New Testament. Whenever he writes these words, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
and now you're God's people. See how our story is wrapped up in His story? How from Abraham there's been one continual line all the way through Scripture, one story of redemption through the cross of Jesus Christ and to us, this great undeserved blessing, that we are the beneficiaries of this blessing, that we benefit from this and that we have our sins forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us, that we have been called and justified and sanctified and being sanctified, and one day we will be glorified. And we can trace it all the way back to Abraham and to chapter 12. An unlikely calling, an undeserved blessing from this lineage of grace. And then finally, the obedient following, verses 4 through 8. When someone gets a gift, it, it usually humbles them, and they say that they don't deserve it. One of the, the ways I was thinking that this happens is perhaps you've been out at a, a gathering with your friends, maybe around at someone's house, and there's been a lot of desserts brought, and there's some buns left over. And whenever you're leaving, the, the host gives you this little package of tinfoil with all the buns in it, and secretly you're thinking, this is amazing, thank you so much. But you're humbled, aren't you? You don't deserve this. You haven't brought them, and here someone's giving you this gift. Now, If you receive that gift, you hope that you're going to enjoy them later, but if you take them home and you just set them on the side and you don't open them up, well, what good is it? You're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to get the benefit of it. And so it is with this. Abraham hears these words. The Lord calls them in verse 1. He blesses and shows the blessing. He lays it out for him in verses 2 through 3. But then we have to decide what's going to happen. We're, We're in suspense as the reader. Verse 4, so Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old, and he set out from Haran, and he takes his wife and all of the possessions, and they move. You see, Abram follows. He's obediently following. He receives this, and as it were, he opens it. He steps out into it. The Lord called him to forsake and to leave behind his homeland and his family and his people. And he gets up and he leaves and he departs and he steps out in faith because he trusted the Lord. Just like we thought about with the boys and girls. He trusted him for he knows that the Lord is good. And he didn't know, Abram didn't know what the journey was going to be like. He didn't know what problems he would face. He didn't know what trials or struggles were going to come his way. But he responds and he takes all that he has. It's not a half measure. He's not half in and half out. He's not thinking, I'll just go a little bit. He wasn't trying to hold on to some of his own life. Instead, he hears the call of the Lord, and he obeys. What has stopped us? What has stopped us in our obedience this morning? What has stopped us in responding to the call of Jesus? What ifs and buts and questions and maybes have we put into the, into the way? What barriers have we put up? What way have we placed the, the brakes on answering God's call in our life? Here's some ways I think that we get sidetracked. Here's some ways that I think we put the brakes on. We put the brakes on, the answer to God's call, because we are comfortable. 
It's lovely. Where I am right now, I'm enjoying it. I, I, I don't want to be disturbed. I, I'm in what J.I. Packer termed, he was very cutting edge whenever the hot tub came out because he released a book called Hot Tub Christianity. We're comfortable. We're in this Christian hot tub. It's nice. It's warm. It's good. Don't ask me to get out and do things. Don't, God, don't call me into serving you. Don't, don't call me out of this. I'm comfortable. And then as a result of comfort, what happens if we get too comfortable? We fall asleep, don't we? We become apathetic. We become lazy. We become sleeping saints in Christ's church. Comfort. Maybe it's fear. I can't respond to the call of the Lord. I don't want to respond because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of where He's going to take me. I'm afraid of what He's going to ask me to do. I'm afraid of what people are going to say. I'm afraid of what my colleagues and work are going to say. I'm afraid of what my friends are going to say. I'm afraid that I'm going to have no friends. Hill Street's full of people. You'll have friends, right? Maybe it's your circumstances. The circumstances that you're in have made you doubt the very character of God. I don't want to respond to the call of God because you're unsure of who He is in your heart. That's what you think. Suffering, struggle. Things have happened in your life. Things that maybe only you know about. And you let your circumstances and doubt cloud out God and His call. Or it might be that you're just simply disobedient. You refuse to answer it. And you go your way instead of God's way. Well, look at the grace of verse 7. And with this, we're almost done. Verse 7. Can you imagine what Abraham's going through? Can you imagine of him, him gathering up all of these possessions, leaving his, his people and his place, the place that he knows and the place that he's comfortable in? He steps out for the Lord. He's, he's on this journey. And then look at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram again, and he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. What is this? It's a, it's a little nugget of grace, isn't it? It's the Lord coming and encouraging Abraham, saying, Abraham, keep going. I am going to sustain you and reassure you. I'm going to confirm the promises. I'm here with you every step of the way. I am the Lord your God, the maker of heaven and of earth. And I have promised you by myself, and therefore I will not leave you. And look at his response. Look at what Abraham does. He turns and he builds an altar there. What does this show? It shows that he's no longer worshiping the pagan gods, but instead he builds an altar. He makes a a public symbol of who he should worship and who the people should worship. It's a public declaration of the Lord. And then look how it goes on in verse 8. He goes out and then he lands into the hills east of Bethel. He pitches his tent And there, look what it says at the end of verse 8. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Martin Luther said that in his translation of this verse that it's him preaching the good news of the Lord, the one to trust, the one who to follow, the one who to live our lives for. And so the Lord called and he has presented his promise to Abraham and then Abram steps out in faith. This is an amazing story. 
An amazing story of God's electing and saving and rescuing sovereign grace. An unlikely call. An undeserved blessing. And then the question, will we be obedient in following Him? I trust today that we will listen to His voice as He calls us, as He moves us, and then as He calls, that we will trust Him. Lord, I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know what it it, it looks like to to leave an old life and to repent of sin for the first time and to follow you for the first time. I don't know what it looks like, but if you're the Lord who kept Abraham, you're the Lord who will keep me. For you are good. And I can trust you because you keep your promises. What an incredible story of God's amazing and sovereign grace. How does it work out in your life? What's he calling you to today? Let's respond in a moment of prayer as we think on